Okay, so we're doing a Thirsty Thursday. Do you have Do you have something? You already. Of course, have a, I do. This was just ready before before Come you on. even suggested it. I got up when you got up. Okay, well, I'm going straight from the bottle. I don't need this, right? <laughs> All right, cheers. It's Thirsty Thursday. Ooh, yeah. Thursday morning, that's right, everybody. It is Thursday, August 13th. The year is 2020. My name is Jacob Eamon. Here with me on Thirsty Thursday is David Patrick Fleming. Uh, this is Underdogs. How are you today, David? I am doing okay. A little bit of a later start today, but Thirsty Thursday makes up for all. I'm just trying to manage my feelings after doing a weird Zoom audition in my living room and trying to move past it and talk about some Blue Jays. Yeah, you're you're a busy man this this week, eh? Uh, all weeks now, you're kind of uh, getting all sorts of work. You're doing auditions before before we start. You're going to the restaurant. It, uh, how are you managing all of that? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't call auditions work. I would call them opportunities for humiliation, self doubt, and absolute downward spirals. But I guess if you want to use the word work, we can say that. I would call the restaurant work. Um, you want to hear uh, a crazy little tale about the restaurant? You have two minutes for a crazy tale. As long as it's not a shitty story, you can go ahead, David. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, it may just be. Uh, what? <laughs> okay, so there's this this lady, and now look, this lady doesn't listen to this podcast. Fucking, there's just no way. This is never going to come back around. I'm not going to say any names. I'm not going to do anything that would put this person in a situation to feel more humiliation. No, than David, they give feel. us her name. Give us. Her I don't. Name. I don't know her name. Like, I, I honestly don't know her name. This is a lady. She's probably mid fifties. Um, a divorcee. She's at our restaurant and she's feeling good. She's chugging some wine and uh, she's, um, you know, not been out since the really the pandemic started. So she's feeling all of those great feelings of connecting with people again and and maybe drinking a little bit more than she should drink. Um, she's just to say she's wearing thin white pants, uh, thin white pants. This will come around in just a moment. And she's out on our patio where there's a group of guys. And if this lady's uh, in her mid fifties, she starts uh, flirting with a man, probably closer to my age, probably early forties. And, uh, it gets to the point where they're making out on our, on our what? patio. Yeah, they're making out. Like, she fucking got it done. She approached this guy, and they start connecting. And it's probably just a, a great moment of like, oh, my God, it feels so good to be outside and around people and alive again. Problem was, we all noticed from her thin white pants that, well, she shit herself. What? Uh, so you could see it just all leaked down her pants and filling her pants. I mean, and there's just no other way to say that. You and watched so it live? 
I didn't watch the ejection live, but I watched the, uh, who knows how long it was there. Do you know what I mean? It could have been there for a while. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Nobody knew until we, we got a good look at uh, the situation. And so she's making out with this guy with basically a full diaper of shit. And so then another lady uh, notices this and tries to be really kind and approaches her in a very loving way. And it's like, hey, darling, maybe you should head on home. And she's like, no, I'm having a fucking good time. I'm not going anywhere. And she's like, darling, darling. <laughs> she didn't know? She didn't fucking know, man. And she was like, darling, darling, possible? I think you need to go to the washroom and check yourself out. And then you can see, like, wheels starting to spin in her mind where she's like, oh maybe something's wrong and then she kind of taps the back of her butt with her hand and she's like oh no and the guy that she's making out with is just they don't necessarily know what's going on but they know something weird's going on and he sort of repels a little bit and this lady just fucking leaves and I was like, oh, we're never seeing this lady again. You know, like, that's just the way it goes. Sometimes you burn off a good place that you like to go to because you shit yourself. And look, full disclosure, I've shit myself like four times in my 30s. I'm not putting myself on an island that ain't like this lady. I've definitely never uh, not knowingly shit myself. Every time I've shit myself, I've been like, oh, just shit myself. But this lady didn't know so she took off but the crazy thing even crazier than that to me was that she showed up two days later no like nothing happened like she wasn't coming up to a staff full of sober servers who saw her shit herself just like table for two you know what i mean like that takes some real fucking cojones to just show up again and be like yeah i shit myself and i'm gonna eat again here tonight did she walk backwards away from the man at least when she was going inside to the bathroom? <laughs> uh, no, it was sort of like a couple 360s though. Like she sort of did like almost a, a ballroom dance, multiple 360s into the, into the room and came back out. And then uh, she left through the back door. I mean, as you do. Uh, you're, not, wow. you're, not, you're not coming back out onto the strip with a full diapy. And were you guys all in the restaurant there just like on poop watch all night? Like you guys, someone saw it and was like, you got to check this out. She's still here. You can see poop in her pants. Come here. She's making, she's still making out with this dude. She doesn't know it. He doesn't smell it. How is this happening? We, <laughs> poop watch is really funny to me. Uh, we ne weren't necessarily on poop watch because everyone was aware of what the situation was. You know, it only took, you know, one person to start that game a telephone about the lady who pooped and, and look like this is a humiliating thing and uh i'm only saying this because i know there's anonymity with the, this person she doesn't listen to this this show um but it did become uh the topic of conversation for the rest of the night with everybody with everybody who was there with everybody who was working and even today you know i'm still talking about this because uh it's not every day you see this was she was she completely blotto? Is that how it happened? Like, what do you think happened? Was it because of your guys' food at your at your restaurant? Is oh, it, that's she was totally possible. I mean, greasy ass noodles going down your gut, and you're just necking wine all night, and uh, maybe you're a bit anxious because you're outside and you're not used to being outside, and maybe you've got a, a gut issue as it is, and then 
But what I just, what just baffles me is how you don't know you've shit yourself. Yeah. That to me makes me so scared to get older because if I've shit myself four times in my 30s, there's no way that that gets easier over time. And so I'm, I'm going to start breaking records when I'm her age. Yeah. Yeah. I've got no doubt about that. Uh, but one of the other things that I'm that I'm worried about, David, is that this woman, <laughs> this woman was breaking COVID protocols, making out with a stranger on a patio at your restaurant. Was anyone concerned about that to begin with? You know what? I didn't think about that until after the fact. But it, I think because uh, my restaurant in a way is is like open waters it's like different rules uh you know they they follow protocols to a certain degree but then there's a little bit of leniency in other ways i've been to other places since and the way that they are dealing with stuff is different than the way we're dealing with stuff but i, I don't know what you do like do, do you go up and go hey get away from each other you're not supposed to kiss each other you're not allowed to do that like i don't like what do you do in that situation that's a very difficult thing it's like breaking up a fight the, the new the new 2020 breaking up a fight is just intimacy between adults yeah i just want to give a reminder to listeners as per usual you can send us a direct message and we will tell you what restaurant David works at so that you can avoid it at all costs. <laughs> oh my God. I don't understand how this stuff keeps happening to you at this workplace. Well, it doesn't happen to me. That didn't happen to me. I was just a witness of that. That's not... Uh, if someone shits that you're serving on your patio, that's happening to you, man. They're... That, that, that is, you're a part of this whether you like it or not. Hey, lady, this isn't just happening to you. This is happening to all of us. You imagine the Uber she took home? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is your game plan if you're coming out of the back of that restaurant? Are you going, looking, see if a clothing store is open, looking for a dumpster you can uh, throw your underwear out into? If What's, I've been in a restaurant and I shit myself and I had to get home, I'm walking to wherever the fuck I live. I don't know if it, I don't care if it's three hours away. I'm fucking walking there. I'm not getting an Uber and letting that hot box for the entire drive home of the fact that I shit myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but have some respect. You have to think also on a long three-hour walk, you're going to pass by so many people that are going to look you in the eye, get a whiff of diarrhea as you walk by, look back, and you're going to have to try and do again that same 360 you were describing earlier to hope that you can time your 360 with them looking back to see what that stench was and not seeing your white diarrhea pants. Yeah, but you got to know how to shit yourself, right? If you're going to walk by somebody, you have to kind of pre-plan the fact that they're going to have that sensation. So you start to pretend like you smell something as you're walking by. You're like, what is that? Are we all just walking by dog shit? And then you just keep walking and they're like, oh, I don't know what that was. And then off you go, full diaper. Right. Okay. Well, dog shit, diarrhea, poopy pants, Let's Does talk that not about describe the game last night. Yeah, I was going to say let's <laughs> let's talk about the Blue Jays baseball game. I've got a I've got a new segment we're going to try out here today, David. Um it wasn't pre-planned, but last night during the game I started 
keeping a little bit of a diary as we're going along here. I wasn't really thinking I'm going to rattle it off on the show, but things got crazy, right? And so as you're going along, you keep updating what you're writing, and you're like, this is insane. And of course, this isn't going to be an accurate recap of the game, everybody out there listening. This is going to be my experience on my couch uh, in my living room watching a game. There's going to be parts where I'm not paying attention. There's going to be parts where something else is happening, and I, I'm just kind of keeping a diary of what happened. So let's get into it. This game is just a roller coaster. You're so frustrated to start the game. It's spiraling out of control over and over. Nate Pearson cannot find the zone. He's not throwing his fastball. He's walking guys. Guys know when he has to throw the fastball, and they're waiting for it. He's throwing a 3-0 slider out of the zone to a catcher hitting 200. He's walking in a bases-loaded run to make it 4 nothing. Errors happen, and he's pulled out of the game with seven earned runs on five hits. So you give over to the anger. You calm down. You, you think about watching the Raptors game. You remember no one is playing on the Raptors team, the injuries or whatever, and none of those games matter. And then Tay Oscar hits a double ding. It's only 8-2, but it kind of wakes you up and makes you mad again. And, but you're also a little happy because Tay Oscar hit the dinger. And Vladdy makes an error, and you go look for something to eat in your kitchen to try and cool down, realize maybe Vladdy's not so different than you. He makes another error, and you start thinking about roster moves on your fantasy baseball team after you, you lose your mind when Danny Jansen throws a, away a run to second. Then a dinger. Dinger. Bo is three for three. Bo is four for four. Brian Moran, moron, is in the game. <laughs> Biggio and Bo double steal, and suddenly you're, you're, you're in it again. Hard. Day Oscar strikes out way out of the zone. You're thinking about going to sleep. Yamaguchi cruises through seven outs. What the fuck? Vlad hits a bomb and you're screaming, finally, finally. Buck is saying, guys are in that dugout saying, we're going to win this game, boys. Gritch rope pulls a quick single over the infield. Rowdy gets mad at himself for not killing the ball instead of missing the ball, and you're thinking, that seems like a step in the right direction, and then he smacks the next one he sees on the ground hard enough to get through, and this, this, kind of, this is the kind of momentum that could change the whole season, you're thinking. Could they really come back? Jansen doesn't hit it far enough to get a run. Biggio comes up empty. Time is running out, but Brucky is back out. He's bullying again. It, it's like you're the best friend it's, it's, it's like he's your best friend, and he came back to the sixth grade, and he got big and became your enemy, and, 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 and he's best friends with the bully now, and maybe soon he will be the main bully, and he's going to deal weed now. He shuts shit down, and now Bo is up again, and you are off the couch by yourself shouting, yes, yes, oh my god, he is god. They will win. Five for five. This is the greatest game of the season. Shaw homers, and I'm again screaming, oh my God, over and over again. And my girlfriend, Brittany, is doing homework in the other room saying, stop it. It sounds like you're orgasming. And then I'm running down the hall to get a glass to pour whiskey into, saying to Brittany, who's, who's in our bedroom, saying, this is crazy. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? She's not seeing this. 
but the whiskey triggers acid reflex burning in my throat and things calm down for a second here as as Guriel makes the second out and you start noticing the crazy amount of bugs and things floating around inside that ballpark. It's getting quiet again, but Vlad singles. And now he's probably just going to be good, you think. he's He needed this. They all needed this. The monkeys are off the hitters' backs. Grichik ends the inning, but it's okay. It's 11-11 now. And it was 0-8 to earlier this game. And Jordan Romano is in his way in. It's the ninth inning, baby, just like we asked for. And Jesus, Romano is ready. He's scary. This is like a guy who came back from the army with PTSD, and he gets mad regardless what you do. He's turned the bad out of anger at himself because he gets angry when when he gets a whiff he's mad that you would even swing at his pitch it's disrespectful to him he might go on a rampage in a casino rowdy feels threatening but doesn't quite straighten a big homer distance foul he gets out and the rest of the inning is unremarkable and quick outs happen and then for a second night in a row extra innings baby alfred was already used why was he used anyway? They didn't even send him to steal the base. But it will be Biggio on base at second, which has to be the, the next best thing. Disaster! No one got the bunt. What happened? What? Extra innings are crazy. Why can't we ever have the guy throwing zeros in the extra inning? Can that not just happen once? Two runs. Okay, of course it is. This is it. This is, of course, how it will end, because the Jays will crush me. This game will crush me. Wild throw to move over a new guy at second with no outs and two runs across, of course. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Kill me again. I'm dead. Sack bunt now. Infield is scary. We have a scary infield. Bad things happen there. Uh, Jesus hits it. That, I guess I'm referring to Jesus Aguilar. Uh, the rest of the inning takes forever, and now it's 14-11. Brittany came in and is talking to me about her home movie with her nieces, and I'm trying to explain to her that I'm trying to pay attention to a crazy game. She's mad at me. She leaves. It feels over, but maybe Bo can have fun and get another hit. He has a great at bat, misses with a signature big hack, and then walks. He's crazy. Shaw is up trying to shank redemption to his career and hit another dinger. He fouls off pitches and strikes out looking. Oh, and three. Not good. Two on, one out. Big tail up. Pop up. Misery. Final out. Lourdes. Swing and a miss. Game over. Heartbreak. Biggio sits in the dugout. Not ready to go. I love you, Biggio. It's 11 o'clock and I started watching this at 6, but at least Pearson didn't take the loss. Do you really scream, Jesus, are you seeing this when you have an orgasm? <laughs> is that I, why Brittany asked you that it, because that's familiar to her no I guess it was the kind of sounds that I was making around uh, Jesus and, and and saying oh my god over and over again maybe maybe she's experienced that but she was saying she's like Ooh. she's like oh like I'm making these <laughs> kinds of sounds is what she what she said afterwards that, that that's the most uh, that that's the thing that stood out the most to me. I, I think that's uh, that's great. That was a good uh, was a good little recap of a. It was crazy, a wild game, crazy game. It was a crazy game, and and it had so many. It was like a trilogy. Do you know what I mean? It was like they're down a bunch and then they tie it up and then they fuck it up again. And I think there's a ton of positives to take from that game. I think. 
so many mistakes, like so many errors. And I was like, do you guys feel like just because you're on a AAA field that you have to play like AAA baseball <laughs> players? It was, it, it, there were so many like little league errors. And I have to say too that, you know, when you see the young players make mistakes, that's yeah, cute. It's like, oh, there's these puppies and they're trying to figure things out. But then it's like, look, old man, Travis Shaw, you don't get to do that. It's not cute when you do it. Get not your ass back first and don't make a running error. And it's like, and you know, he needed those two dingers for me to forgive that. And I do feel that that, that is redemption. But when he first did that, I was thinking of public execution. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because of the previous one where he tried to get home. I guess he was sent home. Uh, a, a couple games ago, he got he got nailed, not even close to the plate, like probably eight feet up the line. What is this guy doing? His first home run was his his first home run was a hundredth of his career, and I thought it was a really nice moment when the younger players gestured to get the ball so that he could keep that because they were aware of that. From the start of the game, though, was it surprising to you at how little swing and miss Nate Pearson was getting on ninety nine and a hundred? Yeah. What, what what what's going on with him? He, it, it's confusing to me. Is there, does he have a lot of movement on his fastball normally, or is it just simply that it's so hard and fast that that's what, that's what makes it good? No, I, I don't think it's a two seam fastball. I think it's just good old country, 104 seam fastball. And, uh, I mean, he threw, I think his first, they said his first 20 pitches were fastballs. And I feel like, He's just in a place where he knows how good he is. He knows how good his stuff is. And it's just a little bit of a mental battle. I think he's, I think he seems like he's shocked when people hit him. And, and he can't quite understand how his stuff isn't as dominant as it was when he was in the, the minor leagues. And it's just going to be a transition for him. I think he'll get there. I think last night was a necessary step for him to go through. And you can't, for where the game went, you can't, pin that loss on on him and you know he technically doesn't get the loss but uh in a way i think that that was good for him to go through the fact that it was miami the fact that it was a team that they could come back from how do you not pin the loss on him because they tied the game up because they came back and yeah, but and what what would have happened if he just had like a semi-average performance even like a slightly worse than average pitching performance. I mean, I don't know. I I, I think it was that's seven. Makes... It was eight nothing when he came out of the game. You could definitely pin that loss on him. But they the game was eleven eleven. Make a wish. You know what I mean? Like they they came back. Like they they picked him up and they came back. You could pin the loss yes, on did, errors but... more so. Then you could pin the loss. And I don't even mean just the three errors on the page. There was many, many errors in that game that don't get recorded as errors. Absolutely. I'm just saying that based on the way the, the guys were swinging the bat last night, based on the terrible trash that Miami Marlins run out onto that mound, if, if Nate Pearson had let up three runs, four runs, and made it to the, to the fifth, I, you, you got to imagine that the Jays are going to win that game. So to me, the loss here's is, the, is here's on one him. of the issues I have with the, this early 2020 season with the Blue Jays. The amount of times I've heard, "Oh, they're 
four and eight, but they could be nine and three. Yeah, that's they, not they, what they, I'm saying. But that's what losses look like. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what they look like sometimes. Not every loss looks like, oh, that was a clear loss that you should have lost. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Sometimes losses are heartbreaking. Sometimes they're complicated. And that's last night. I think you take some of the the bad with the good. Uh, the pitching so far has been really good. The starting pitching has been really good. I don't imagine Nate Pearson have too many starts like that. But some of the benefits that you get from hopefully the offense starting to gain some confidence and starting to drive the ball and starting to hit like seven home runs. It's awesome. It's seven awesome. home runs. Yeah. But the the concern for me is this command of Nate Pearson. And, and so he's shocked that people are hitting it, but they're going to hit it if it's either in the zone at 99 or 96, um, you know, in the middle of the plate, or it's wildly out of the zone. And so you just wait. You just sit there as the hitter and say, okay, I'm not going to swing at anything, but something that is it so clearly coming straight at me. And you time it up eventually, and so he's got to he's got to be able to get strikes with other pit with other pitches and get a lot of strikes with fastballs. There's something I'm gonna say here that uh, it's just something that I feel and something that I thought last night, but is no basis in fact. Love it. He threw the first twenty pitches as fastballs. Mm -hmm. Why? You have other pitches. Like wh why? Why start out just throwing? You're fast, nothing but your fastball. And for me, it was reminiscent of when you would see Aaron Sanchez. Aaron Sanchez had great stuff. He had a great uh, two-seam fastball. He had a really nice uh, changeup, and he kind of struggled with, or sorry, really nice curveball, and he struggled with his changeup. But then sometimes Aaron Sanchez would come out, and he would only throw fastballs for like two innings. And so I'm like, this is a Blue Jays thing. It, who's Why? Why? Is it is it Pete Walker? Is it is it an organizational thing that they have these beliefs about pitching that, oh, wouldn't it be so great if you got through the first inning and not showing anybody your slider or your curveball or your changeup and then and then later in the game introduce those pitches? I, I feel like they're being fucked with a little bit. And There's so no way that Nate Pearson went out there at twenty-three years old and said, only fastballs, that's coming from somewhere else. And I just disagree that you don't show any pitches or um, you only throw fastballs for that length of time. And so what is the problem with it? Because he was getting the outs. He got the first two outs throwing the majority of pitches for fastballs. And then later in the game, he couldn't, he couldn't throw a strike with the fastball or any well, other so pitch. So what I think happens is that they start to know that he's only throwing fastballs. And so these are big league hitters who are able to make contact with 99 and 100 if they know that it's coming. And so because he's only throwing fastballs and then they start to smack the fastball, then all of a sudden he's like, uh-oh, I'm afraid to throw my fastball. These guys can all of a sudden throw my fastball. Here's sliders for 30 pitches. And then he's off himself. He's like, I'm a one-pitch pitcher. I'm either going to throw you all fastballs or I'm going to throw you all sliders. When I feel like it would have been better for him to have a mix of pitches to keep the hitters off balance because if you're just throwing your fastball all the time and you're not locating it, then a hitter is going to sit on fastball and it's going to sit on location. Yeah. And so as soon as you throw it in the zone, uh, based on last night, they're going to mash it. And they did. Well, 
I agree with you, but what I think happened is that he couldn't throw anything for a strike, and so they have to keep trying to put down fastball to hope that he can find that to throw as a strike. They didn't know that. At that place in the game, they, they wouldn't have said, oh, you can't throw your slider for a strike. He hadn't thrown one. He just kept overthrowing fastballs out of the zone. And so why didn't he try to throw something else to get him back in rhythm? Okay. Like he was obviously trying to overthrow his fastball mm-hmm. because he just he wasn't for a lot of it he wasn't close. Okay, so my question that I that I got here for you is: Do you have any interest in seeing Reese melt in your hands, McGuire, uh, catch him for for his next start? I don't think those young catchers are calling the game, man. I think that the calls are coming from the dugout, and so it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. Until Nate Pearson starts calling his own shots, like you see, Granky in Houston calling the game. <laughs> yeah. Everyone can see it's like reverse trash can. Zach Granky's giving fingers to the catcher, showing like, "Here's the pitch I'm gonna throw." <laughs> He's full on voicing, "Hey, let's do the second sequence. Let's do the next sequence." Like just full on, and everyone's like, "What? What is this guy doing?" Yeah. But until Nate Pearson does a version of that, where he's like, "I'm throwing my own game." Get out of my way. That's all I care about. It doesn't matter if it's Danny Jansen. It doesn't matter if it's Reese McGuire. I think they're both capable of receiving his pitches. I mean, maybe there's a version where a veteran catcher comes in and is able to help him, but that's just not the case we have here. I don't want Caleb Joseph no, starting to catch games. Of course not. I, I'm not convinced. I don't, I, I don't know one way or the other if the bench is calling the whole game I don't know if Jansen is calling that game. I don't see or I don't see uh, Nate Pearson shaking off a lot. I didn't notice that very much. Um, so I think I think that no matter what, even if the bench is calling a lot of a pitcher's selection, that having a different catcher in there is going to have a different experience, and he's going to have a different thought about just reacting to to a pitcher's swing, suggesting let's throw this one. Um, and so uh, I think I don't think that there's any anything wrong with just giving Reese McGuire a chance because I don't. But you know, obviously the Blue Jays think that Danny is a better catcher, and that's why he's catching uh, Nate Pearson at this point, and why he's catching more games than Reese McGuire in general. I mean, Jansen got his back going last night, which was a great sign. But I also think that you don't want to put yourself in a position where your ace is catcher dependent where he's dependent on a certain catcher catching to him. I think you want your ace to be your ace. I don't think it matters to Ryu who he throws to because he can take control of what he's doing. And now I'm not saying that uh, Nate Pearson should be at that place in his career yet, but I don't think that you want to start the narrative of you only pitch uh, well to a certain catcher. Yeah, so what better reason do you have than to tell that to Danny Jansen and Nate Pearson next time as the reason why Reese McGuire's in for that start? Well, because Danny Jansen's starting to hit the ball. Like, I imagine you want him to keep doing that because he's been junk. And now, last night, he showed some great signs of coming around offensively. Yeah, but it'll be another week before we see Pearson start and a whole lot of bad or good could happen with Danny Jansen between now and then. Yeah, totally. So Don Mattingly... He's got a new mask. Did you see that? It's like he saw Charlie Montoyo's tube mask. He went over after the game. He's like, hey, man, where did you get that tube thing? How can I get one? Because I think I broke my nose last (laughs) night on the mask that I was wearing. Or did you not break your nose? Oh, you're wearing, oh, that's softer. Oh, my God, I can breathe. 
<laughs> I love Don Mattingly so much. Did you see the thin t-shirt he's wearing too? This dude does not give a shit. He's got this thin t-shirt. You can see his nipples through it. He's like, you know, especially compared to Montoyo and all of the Blue Jays staff, they're all like in in the real players' jerseys and yet their bodies don't look right for it. So it's like <laughs> they just kind of look like kids uh, in in outfits that they're not not right to wear. Uh, I, I, I'm a big, I don't know, I, I'm a big Mattingly guy. I was just like Googling him a bit too and looking at pictures of him when he was young, seeing that he was like the first Yankee to refuse to cut his hair on the team. Oh, you don't remember that? Did you never see that Simpsons episode where they made reference to that? Like sideburns. I think I probably (laughs) did, and it was just somewhere in the back of my mind, also like creating this legend for me of of how awesome (laughs) Don Mattingly is. Uh, I love that guy. I like Don Mattingly a lot too. Another couple of funny things that I noticed along the way. There was uh, my other favorite guy that we like talking about on the Marlins, Cervelli. He's uh he's he's up at the up at the bat, and uh, the ball sort of gets away from Danny Jansen, but not really. It just kind of falls out of his. He blocks it and it goes right in front of him. And Cervelli's standing there waving over the runner, even though the ball's right <laughs> in front of Danny Jansen. And Danny Jansen's like picking up, kind of looking at Cervelli, like, "What are you?" What? <laughs> is it, are you trying to insult my arm or something? What is happening? Cervelli's still <laughs> waving him over. It was, it was an amazing moment. Uh, Cervelli also broke Romano's no-hit streak. He's the only dude to get a hit off of Romano this year. Yeah. Little bloop into center field. Fucking Cervelli. I, I, I felt like they were like Danny Jansen had invented a new way for another team to score on us. I don't think I'd ever seen a runner score by the catcher throwing errantly sort of to second base for no reason with the bases loaded and, and the guy Vigio just kind of wasn't ch- even at the bag. No. It's awful. That that was one of the the, the worst plays at the game. And yeah. I don't think that that that's one of those things that I don't think uh is shows up at these as the error. No, it doesn't. Um but it's just it's just like what the fuck was that? Like even yeah. Biggio is like the fuck are you doing? And the run just comes in. We talked about Rowdy yesterday. Um, Buck goes on on the air and he's saying, you know, whoever's swinging the bat is going to get more playing time. Well, what comes first, the chicken or the egg here? Rowdy can't get more hits. He can't get better and start hitting the ball more unless he gets to play more. So he made his case last night because he was drilling the ball last night. And his, you know, every now and then a home run, incites a vocal reaction that you don't even expect and when he hit his home run i went <laughs> like it just it just like shocked me it was violent and you were just like oh my god it was almost like he hit it too far yes it was just sort of scary he looked so confident at the plate last night i mentioned it in my in my blazing recap at the beginning of the episode <laughs> that moment where the pitcher threw a ball and he didn't swing at it and he said I know how to demolish that ball. I can't believe I'm mad at myself because I didn't kill that ball. That's and and seeing that like seeing that for the first moment with him where it wasn't just him being like, "Oh, I can't believe I swung at that. I can't believe I oh, I shouldn't I shouldn't or I shouldn't have swung at that." To see him know, have confidence that he could have killed the ball and then to get a hit on the next pitch, that was a great sign for me for Rowdy. 
It was probably also a sign of how bad the Marlins pitching was. That, yes. That he, he was, you know, so confident that he, he could hit it again. I really like that parking garage they have in right field with the West <laughs> Jet logo because I feel like his dinger went into that. Yeah. It's like, if that's a thing, that's really cool. Like, what stadium can you hit home runs into a parking garage? It's really cool. Do you think this game has enough to to change the tenor of the whole season going forward, that this has the confidence to make this team realize that we can mash? I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, this is one of those games where they go into the clubhouse and they kind of, they're like, here we fucking go. Now we're starting to roll. Or they go into the clubhouse and there's some screaming matches. There's some like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck were you doing? What was this? What was that? And, you know, there's also a chance that that kind of level of uh, anger gets them rolling as well. But I thought it was a make or break type game. And I guess we'll only see in time if it was made or broken because it could have brought them together. Certainly offensively, it would seem that way. But it was such a sloppy game outside of that, that there's a potential that some shit was getting thrown around in that clubhouse. Right. I am noticing something on this team, and I don't know if it matters. It's kind of a sensitive topic, and maybe it plays into this a little bit. I don't know. But do you think that there's a language divide on this team or a cultural division? Um, you, you kind of always see the same guys grouped together, and one of the groupings uh, as it stands now means that you never see Bo Bichette and Vladdy hanging out together. You know, and like, are they are they friends at all? Does that matter at all? Because it's always Bobichet, Kevin Biggio, then you've got Randall and Travis Shaw nearby, all the white guys, and then on the other side, and it's kind of like they have their spots too in the dugout. There, the the white guys are near the coaching staff, you know, towards that that um, home plate side of the dugout, and then. At the end, of you have uh, Tay Oscar, Vladimir, and Lourdes with, with uh, Vladdy sitting in his spot kind of at the step entrance on the right side of the dugout. And I don't know, like, is, does that matter? I, I don't, it doesn't matter if they're winning. I, it's like an interesting thing to think about. I don't, I mean, I, I would imagine that it, it's, easier to converse with people that speak the language that you're more comfortable speaking to. And, uh, you know, they all know each other. There was a moment last night when I, I can't remember if it was Vladdy's home run or Bo's home run. I think it was Bo's home run. And they uh, showed this quick video of, in the dugout and Bo and Vladdy hugged each other. And I remember remarking that kind of being like, oh, okay, like, cause you can't really sense what their relationship is with each other. And they, I mean, they came up together, with their heads butted against each other because it was always like Vladdy's the best and Bo, Bo is second, Vladdy's the best, Bo is second. And now it's like Bo is the best and Vladdy's second, Bo is the best and Vladdy's second. So it, it'd be pretty tough for them not to have some sort of complicated feelings with each other. But again, like in terms of the language thing, you know, that it's just easier. They probably can relate on more things just based on how they grew up, where they came from, and they might have just more... No, I mean, it's really hard thing to to know if it's cultural, linguistic, or just um, like relationship. Like it's mm -hmm. also just possible that 
it just so happens that they don't like each other or that there's just a weirdness between them and that there's a more of a relatable thing between him and Vladdy and Lourdes and Teoscar. It's really hard to know. Yeah. Uh, I felt kind of nervous bringing it up because again, like we don't know what's going on. I'm just kind of going off of what I'm observing and I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious because I didn't see that hug between Vladdy and Bo, but I just, I get this feeling like I want, I want this sort of unity to happen and I feel like it is important for the team to do well. And, and like you said, they did come up together and as they were coming up, we kept being told of like, you know, they were always complimenting each other, talking about coming up together and that they were friends. And then you just never see them together, like having laughs together. Like, you know, you'd think there would be promos of them together stuff like that it just seems like there's something going on that i don't know about and i'm very curious about and i just want to keep keep watching and, and now that i'm aware of it i want to i really want to watch the dugout and i wish there was a camera where i could just watch them the whole game yeah i'm super i mean i was super curious too about aaron sanchez and marcus marcus stroman's friendship because right? they had this great friendship and then had a falling out and you know i'm just really curious how players actually get along or don't and yep it's so it's such an easy thing to create a narrative around and such an easy thing to take a guess at but i would just love to know the truth of it but it would be an impossible thing to 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 even get them to talk about yeah and it may not be important now and like you said and it's not may not be important if they're winning but 5 years from now when choices are being being made about where you want to stay or if you want to go or if you want to you know then it starts to become important I if think. they win a world series together man they're going to be bonded for life like right. I, th I feel like they're already bonded for life for better or worse but i if they win together there's just no way there's just no way that if they win together that they're like these mortal enemies yeah no i but they did win together in double a so you'd think that that bond would have it's not the big leagues but it's it's huge for them at the time so, I mean, you could imagine what some of their points of view would be on each other. <laughs> it's like an easy story to kind of try to write. Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay, well, we will wrap up there. Um, no Blue Jays baseball tonight. In any case, we will be back tomorrow. And uh, hope you all have a great day.